So that's kind of what becomes maybe clear to me from this conversation is is that it's not really about anything other than just like taking down boundaries in our experience and sort of like learning how to like hold everything rather than compartmentalize these different areas. It's like, we're just going to hold it all together and see what happens. Yeah. That's, that's, that was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the, like just what pops to mind right when you finish there is like, it hurts to, to cut ourselves into pieces. Right. Yeah. Like Obviously that hurts. <laughs> and yeah. Right. So, I mean, yeah. authenticity is a theme for me now, like recognizing like, how can I just, and, and even just beginning to see, all these ways fear has arisen. And if we think about the cause of suffering being attachment, I think the fundamental way of working with attachment and aversion and ignorance is is the self, right? Like if mm. we're attached to being a certain way or averse to being another way. Um, right, right, right. That's yeah. Good going to cause a lot of suffering and i mean just i mean even just saying that out loud now and thinking about how much of my day is those things you know like doing things in order to try to be something that i want to be or um uh, maybe censoring myself in order to not be other things i'm afraid um other people will think and and really that's kind of the other way to to look at it too is it's like we're really talking about what other people think Mm -hmm. we are or aren't in, in a lot of cases, maybe I, mean, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I, I feel like that's my experience is a lot of this about like, what are, what are other people going to think I am or am not? Right. And yeah. And so that it really is where love and compassion start, I think is, is right there. Mm-hmm. If we're going to extend and open in a way that leaves us a little more vulnerable, then there has to be uh, that sort of supportive uh, love and compassion for our own experience as it is. And um, that's that feels scary and it feels uncertain. Um, mm. Maybe scary isn't the right word. It feels um, less grounded mm. or more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Maybe vulnerable is a good way to put it because it's not vulnerable doesn't have to be scary. It can be open, you know, and fully... Um, Hmm. I'm thinking. I'm. I'm picture. I'm trying to think of a word, but I'm picturing in my head Pema Chodron's idea of like the open wound mm-hmm. of bodhicitta. You know, like it's like it has to breathe. You have to let it breathe. You know, and and at the same time, like there's there's beauty in everything. And um, yeah. And 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 then that makes me think too, as well as like uh, how many people. And again, I'm one of these people. I'm sure too. Um, how many people have said things or or taught things uh or made decisions based on fear about what people might think dharma is or what buddhism is or Mm. what tibetan buddhism is and i think there's a lot of that now uh particularly because we are in this this really uh 
it's just, just a, it feels like a, a pivot point for Tibetan Buddhism and the West. And I think, I don't know that we've talked about this on air before, but I think there's a, there's some real things that need to be worked through about incorporating and including Western Buddhists as equals in the Tibetan Buddhist uh, system, mm-hmm. uh, even in the U.S., we know from our experience, or I know uh, that there's very few um, Americans or Western Buddhists who are elevated in these communities. And in fact, in many ways they're held, held back. So, um, and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that there's, there's a, a, an intersection of culture and religion, particularly with Tibetan Buddhism. You have a very, um, I don't even know if oppressed is the right word. Definitely, well, definitely oppressed, but it's more than that. Like you have people who whose home was invaded. You know, like that one of the shining examples of of a Buddhist society that was um, has been just uh, put through the ringer. Like it's a very light way of saying something very terrible, but like it's it they've had a really really bad time, mm-hmm. and. Um, and luckily, like there's an upside. Uh, all these amazing teachings have made it out into the world, but I think there's a, a bit of an existential um, crisis built into the Tibetan Buddhism coming to the West because it is the last place where Tibetan culture can thrive freely is in these Tibetan Buddhist temples and and monastic communities, even if they're not in Tibet. Like while that may be being repressed and, and eradicated. Uh, like a cultural genocide in Tibet, uh, there's a chance for it to thrive here, but then it becomes, but that's messy. You know, that's like tying two things together that that, that really probably shouldn't be surgically connected, mm. both the, the, the existence of the Tibetan culture and the Dharma. And I think there's a lot of, uh, I think that's actually a really, really major issue uh, that will need to be, navigated or is being navigated and i think that causes a lot of problems including western teachers being very afraid about saying things that don't exactly align with things that tibetan teachers have said and i'm talking not just about teachers i've seen but this is the whole dial really kind of the whole conversation we've been with today as i feel that way like i feel like can i teach about the fact that one in 10 people who learn to meditate have an adverse effect that sometimes includes functional impairment up to a month, you know, like do we, that sounds like something that people would be very upset to hear um, mm. if I taught that from the teaching seat, you know, at, at a, at a Buddhist temple. Mm. And, but, but this is, if the Dharma is the truth and the way things are, I, we really should be including these things too, but w- where's the home for this? How do we say both give yourself fully to the, the guru on the, on the Vajrayana path in particular? I mean, to be clear in the earlier paths, it's not the same role. And I think it is incredibly good advice to take 10 years to, to get to know your teacher before you really commit in any case, but really to talk about paradox and, and all this, you know, in a way we have to live in paradox, but the paradox is yes, devotion is super important. But the other thing is you got to trust yourself. Mm -hmm. And those two things, maybe that's another nutshell way of describing 
what I'm going through right now is just like coming to terms with my devotion to my teacher and um, trusting myself and recognizing that those aren't separate things and they never were. Right. Yeah. That's a good point there. It's, it's interesting too, just that I I feel like um, maybe part of the great promise that people saw in the possibility of the Vajrayana style teachings coming uh, to the West was that, you know, they don't really tell you how to be in, in the same way that the uh, kind of more foundational teachings do. Uh, so that is to say that at least theoretically um, they, the Vajrayana teachings would be much more harmonious with a wide array of um, lifestyles that didn't necessarily fit the more conventional models of a, of a Buddhist practitioner. Um, you know, I mean, it, there's plenty of stories about all these kind of folks that I'm alluding to, you know, like the 84 Siddhas who, of India who were all sorts of different trades and craftspeople and I mean, I think part of the simple practical message of that for us is that like our lives can work with the teaching, um, which is part of what we're talking about here, I think, is really just actually having confidence in that and embracing that and kind of leaning into that, uh, even though it might not. I mean, in a way, it has to do with just a. To, I'm looking at myself when I say this, but it has to do with the development of a certain amount of just like basic self-trust and self-confidence, you know, I think in the healthy sense, not like, uh, you know, not like I'm just doing my own thing and I don't care what anybody thinks, not like that, but just like I can just be myself and if I'm sincere and in the right place and kind of seeing my path as a process, um, an ongoing process or an ongoing dialogue, then, um, you know, uh, the person that I am is a valid candidate to practice Dharma for a lifetime. You know, it does, we don't have to like be so hesitant to live our lives yeah, and it is like, you know, part of this with the identity stuff too, part of this for me has been recognizing that like um, I really kind of adopted a bunch of stuff because I thought that's what a Buddhist should look like. Right, right. Or, or the things that a Buddhist should own or the art that a Buddhist should have on, on their walls. Um, well, a whole lot of things that I just did because that's what, um, teachers or um, other people I saw did. And it's funny because a lot of it, like part of what I realized is um, a lot of this isn't even particularly like Buddhist. It's Tibetan. Right. Like I took, a, I mean, there's a bunch, there's so much Tibetan culture wrapped into Tibetan Buddhism that I like, uh, I mean, I'm, and I, I know that there's a lot of overlap and I know that there's a lot of uh, purpose in, in some of this, you know, in many ways, the, the ritual implements and the, the tankas, the the pick the paintings of, of deities um, 
there's purpose to all of that. And, and there's good reason to, to keep some of those things around. I think there's method behind a lot of it. I'm not saying it's just like decorations that I, somebody else's interior decorating that I adopted. Um, but at the same time, it's not the only way. And the source of a lot of these methods is, is Tibetan culture. And you, we can meet some of the same goals in an American context too, that may look very different from the Tibetan context. And so really thinking about, so that, that's another kind of thread of where I've been at lately is thinking about <clears throat> the why in my situation, like why am I doing this? Um, and, and is that why meeting the outcome I want? And I think many Buddhist teachers would jump to like the outcome being enlightenment. So like it's be, or enlightenment being the outcome and we do the things that support us getting to enlightenment. I don't think it's that simple. And I actually think when you say that, you discount the fact that enlightenment is present. <laughs> like it's it's right. present tense and it's not a separate thing. And if we keep thinking that all of our decisions are in order to get to this place or idea that is not with us right now, then we're not really dealing with the situation. So, I mean, this it's funny because in a way, this really is the best first episode for the Vajrayana season because um, because this is really it, you know? It's like we, we, we've got to be able to um, enjoy things mm-hmm. and make that the path too. I was recalling the other day a time in retreat when once a month we would do this big ritual called um, sendering. That's what it's called, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I haven't said the word in so long. It's it's the long yeah. Mahakala Puja. And um and it's a big like three and a half hour thing and there's food involved. You you consecrate a bunch of food and um Jeremy would bring those extra shopping bags in and put them <laughs> underneath the table. You remember that? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so like we would do this big ritual and, and bless the food. And part of that is there's a a, a bowl of, of liquor on the table. And I remember one day and you get like a spoonful of it. And I remember one day um, going back for seconds and someone like had a major problem with that. Um, like that's not what that's for, right. you know? I mean, we're talking about spoonfuls, not glasses, but, um, <laughs> and I remember we, we put a question to Rinpoche, like what, what is that, you know, what is that there for? And Rinpoche's question, I'm so glad that I remembered this because at least what we were told that he said is that's there to enjoy. Yeah. And that was like really meaningful to me to remember because right in the heart of that ritual, you know, all of that dictated uh, chanting and mudras and instrument playing and all that kind of stuff, there's, there's also this element of enjoyment. Like we need to learn how to be able to enjoy things and let ourselves enjoy things. And, mm-hmm. and I think that a big part of like one, again, thread of where I'm at today is like letting myself enjoy things without second guessing, you know, is this, is this okay? Is it all right if I'm enjoying this? Is it okay if I'm doing this thing I like, you know? Is right. it okay if I'm re- resting for a minute? Right, <laughs> you know, is right, it okay right, if right. I do things to take care of myself? Um, and I to, to make a broad comment about all of this, I don't doubt anything about what Kempo Carter Rinpoche taught us. Um, and I don't doubt the Dharma at all. Like none of this is at, about me having a crisis of um, faith 
in regard to to my lineage or or my practice. This is really about me recognizing how much further I have to go in this Vajrayana practice and how much more balance um, and presence and compassion I need to bring to the situation because mm. I've been sort of stuck in the Hinayana in a way. That maybe be one way to say it, I think. Right. I'm so so focused on what not to do and what needs to be cut out. And, um, right. and I think that's one way to think about where, I, where I'm at with all this. Yeah, that's kind of a cool point. I mean, not to like claim to like know what enlightenment is or anything, but it's it. my sense of it is at the end of the day, awakening or enlightenment, whatever we're saying, has the energy, more the energy of like a, sort of a, it's a yes kind of thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, a, mm, like, yeah. like a, it's a, it's a positive manifestation, you know? It's not like, um, it doesn't probably have the energy of no. It, it may, it may be able to manifest no's when necessary, but like fundamentally, fundamentally we're talking about a positive reality, a positive expression not like in a cheap sense, not like positive, like let's just stay positive, but like it is a manifestation of true reality, like ultimate positive. Um, and so I just think that in order to approach that, that is part of using pleasure or enjoyment on the path uh, is being able to open up to true pleasure enjoyment and a true yes like because we know like actually we have tons of hang-ups when it comes to enjoying ourselves you know like we may f- we feel bad about it or something or any number of things yeah um, but like so to actually open up and live within like a yes like a true pleasure mentality without hang-ups and without clinging is difficult but I think that it is somehow it is in line with the state of of awakening. Um, you know, I don't, I, I can't claim to know any of that f- for certain. But that is what my experience sort of tells me is like opening up to things more and like living within more within more of a state of harmony with the phenomenal world and just being open to experiences and enjoyment is in line with uh, where we're going, I guess, in the ultimate sense. And um, yeah, like I think what you're saying earlier, um, like the idea that we're going to follow a bunch of rules the right way in order and like buy the right things and do the right things and basically just follow like a formula and then we'll achieve enlightenment is absurd. It's sort of like so petty. It's like that's insulting to awakening, you know, which is something that goes way beyond all of our um, formulas. Like, you know, how many times we hear like in the teachings, like ultimately these sorts of uh, insights into the nature of reality and the sort of development of realization. It's, you know, 
it grows out of the right causes and conditions, but at the same time, it's beyond intentionality. Like, it comes, it manifests uh, more and more exactly when we let go of our will a little bit and just open up to things. Um, So I think the key is, like, creating conditions where we feel uh, comfortable stable safe enough to allow that opening up you know that's the real thing it's like we can't just like follow a formula to enlightenment we have to develop the real causes and conditions which is a state a state of being where it's actually possible you know we can't just be in a in a state of like limitation and then think that we're going to open up to ultimate reality you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, that doesn't seem quite right. 